0: with me if you would to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to give you a couple moments to get there. Uh, the topic we're going to address tonight is spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. Um, this is a church, uh, it's a church culture forming topic. It's what we believe, it's what we expect, uh, it shapes our behavior. That's what I mean whenever I say it, it forms us and it. it, it it's it's something when, when we come to a topic like this, we're saying, I want to be apostolic in doctrine. I want to be apostolic in ministry. I want to be apostolic in lifestyle. And it, it shapes who we are individually and together. And these are the kinds of things that make up the expectation of how we conduct the standard we hold ourselves to one another, right? Yeah. This is the kind of church that we are. We believe that The spiritual gifts are for us today. Amen? Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13 says this, and this is just kind of where my heartbeat comes from on this topic. It says, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I want us to grow up into the church that God wants us to be. Amen. And I don't think we ever arrive at that place where we can stop striving and stop pursuing. I think it's something we continually pursue after, amen? It's something we always pursue, and that's why we need to come back to a topic like this every once in a while, because it's an acknowledgement that I'm still pursuing. I'm pursuing what makes up an apostolic life. I'm pursuing what makes up apostolic doctrine and what apostolic ministry needs to look like, amen? Amen. I want to grow up into the person, into the church that Jesus would have us to be. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. This is in the New King James Version. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. That's just to think seriously. Sometimes we have to pause and we have to think seriously about something. Amen? Amen. We're going to do a little bit tonight. Think seriously about it, soberly about it. As God has dealt to each one a measure of faith, we can can think seriously about something and be in the Holy Ghost at the same time. Right? We can think seriously about, we can engage our mind and be in the Holy Ghost at the same time. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. This is where I want to to focus our attention, beginning at verse 6. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Look at this next phrase. Let us use them. Let us use them. What good are gifts if we never get them out of the box? What good are gifts if we never use them? That's really the driving heartbeat of everything that we're going to talk about tonight and, Lord willing, in the next several weeks. When we talk about spiritual gifts, it's not just about storing up some kind of head knowledge about gifts to where we can answer trivia questions about them. It's about that that imperative that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Romans and to us. We have gifts that are given to us by God. Let us use them. Use them. I want to stop because I know I have your attention because you're standing. And I'll say this. When when he's saying let us use them, he's not just talking to the leadership of the church. Look at the paragraph before we just read. He talks about all the members of the body. So that imperative, let us use the gifts that God has given us, is not just for the leaders of a church. It is for the entire body and every member of the church. Having then gifts according, differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. If You set your Bibles down. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. The word is anointed. Let's pray over ourselves that we'd be anointed to hear it. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray, Lord, that revelation would accompany the ministry of your word today. Lord, that your spirit would minister to us in a profound way and help us Lord, to understand in faith. Help us to think soberly about these things. Help us to consider seriously what the Word of God says to us. Lord, help us to be challenged by it. Lord, let us to grow individually and together into the church that you envision us to be and that the world so desperately needs in this hour. Lord, let the power of your Spirit fall in this place over your people. And Lord, we will give you all the praise in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. One of the distinctives, one of the distinctives of being an apostolic Pentecostal is our emphasis on the gifts of the Spirit. And how they're not something we study academically from far away. But as apostolic Pentecostal people of God, we believe that spiritual gifts are for us today that's one of the things that most sets us apart from other groups what is a spiritual gift what are spiritual gifts i i almost skipped this question entirely but i don't want to take for granted that there's a hundred percent understanding about what we're what we mean when we say spiritual gifts so let me put it like this and i believe we have something on the screen to accompany this um, they've got some handouts that they're going to hand out. I failed to mention that. They've got some handouts they're going to distribute. And, um, and it's going to have some space where if you want to make some notes and you want to try to kind of fill in some of the spots and, and keep up, that it might be helpful. Uh, I, I'm, if we don't have enough for everybody, couples may have to share. Uh, but a spiritual gift is a God-given ability distributed to individual saints by the Holy Ghost that allows that saint, him or her, to work. It's where the Holy Ghost works through our life to help the church fulfill its mission on the earth. It's a spiritual gift. It's something that the Holy Ghost gives to individual saints, men and women, and it comes from the Holy Ghost. And it works in our life and through our life so that the church can do what the church has been put here on this earth to do. By their very nature, spiritual gifts will not operate in the flesh. They are, by their very nature, spiritual. I was reading an article a while back, and I dug around this afternoon. I was trying to find it, and I couldn't find it. Um But I found some articles that alluded to it. There's anyone that does anything creative. Uh, so I'm thinking of artists, I'm thinking of musicians, I'm thinking of writers, uh, people that that create things. Uh, maybe you maybe you build something uh, and you're you're assembling the pieces of it and it's it's some kind of creative task. Almost anyone that does that sort of thing regularly, or maybe you have, and maybe you've experienced what I'm fixing to talk about, almost universally they will tell you that there's a kind of flow, it, like you get in the zone. On Have you ever gotten, you have something you're doing, you get in the zone on it? I don't have a scientific term for that, Brother Turner. I just call it, you get in the zone, right? And when you're doing something creative, when you're creating, building something, writing something, composing something, Uh, drawing something, painting something, whatever it may be, Um, what, crocheting something, right. You can get locked in. You can get in the zone and there's almost like to where you don't want to be distracted, right? You ever been there? You're like, all right, everyone just like back off, let me, there's something happening here and it's just like this, this, this channel of inspiration just hits and everything is clicking and everything's happening and you're in the flow. And I read an article about that once, and it was, they were, it was some kind of neurological, it was some kind of, I don't know, some kind of medicine journal, and they were talking about what happens in the brain when you get into that state. And, uh, and it was, it's like higher brain function is unlocked or something, and it's just, they've, they've done studies and, and it's, it's amazing. Uh, and it's like a very unique type of brain pattern, something that just happens. And as I was reading about it, there was I didn't think there was a one-to-one correlation between that and the Holy Ghost operating in us. But I, I did see something that made me think, you know, there's times whenever the Holy Ghost is moving and we have to kind of step into a flow. When we have to step into what the Holy Ghost? We might call it being in the spirit. We might call it being sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Uh, there's just times whenever... Uh, we need. We have to just consciously, almost, put aside all the distractions. Right, right. And we have. To, and we do that sometimes together. And hopefully, there's times when you do that uh, on an individual level. It it doesn't only happen when we're together as a group. It also happens when you're individually or in a small group or something like that. And there's moments. There's moments where that happens. And we can probably all. Think of a moment when that happened maybe when we were in a church service or something like that and and um there's there's moments when it happened but there's also a lifestyle that accompanies that that we need to where it goes beyond just the moment and we can live our life in a way where we don't have distractions where we create where we create an environment that is conducive to what the Holy Ghost wants to do? Am I making sense to anybody? So in the same, let me, let me. I know it's not a direct one-to-one correlation, so I know the metaphor breaks down somewhere. But if there's somebody that is a, they have a creative task that they do, and they do it with a lot of regularity, people that write books for a living, and they write for a living, a lot of times if you will, put their life under the microscope, and you'll peer, peel back some of the layers, you'll often find out that they have a particular location where they write. A particular room in their house. something, An environment that they have created out by their own effort. No one pulled a U-Haul up and built it for them. They created it. It was their thought processes. They said, you know what? I know exactly the environment that is conducive to the task and what is going to be happening in me and through me and coming out of me. This isn't anywhere in my notes, but I just feel like we need to understand that there are things in our life that we can create an environment for the Holy Ghost to move. There's a difference between having been filled with the Holy Ghost, and being led by the Holy Ghost. And when we're talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual g- gifts to be in operation necessitate an environment where spiritual gifts are acknowledged, appreciated, and valued. If you're going to write a book, you can't, I mean, whatever your workstation is, you have to create a place, an environment where that is, going to help you see that come to fruition. And so it is with the Holy Ghost. Um, Doesn't mean that the Holy Ghost can't operate wherever he chooses. Doesn't mean that we get to boss the Holy Ghost around and say, well, you can do this and you can't do that. But it's simply an acknowledgement that we as people of God, if we're serious about being led by the Holy Ghost and seeing God work in us and through us, there's things we can do in our life. No one's going to pull up a U-Haul to your life. No one's going to come into your life and declutter and get rid of all the distractions and the nonsense and the unaddressed sin and whatever it may be. No one's going to come in and do that for you. You're going to have to sweep through your life, sweep through your house. But I will tell you tonight that if you will take the time and the effort to do something like that, you will see the gifts of the Spirit start to flow in your life. You'll see the fruit of the Spirit start to grow in your life if you'll do that. Churches become spiritually weak when we don't freely and responsibly have the Holy Ghost move. When we get so clogged up with the things of life that we that we fail to create an environment where the Holy Ghost is free to do what he wants to do, without maybe realizing it on day one, we get weaker. We get weaker. We get weaker. The reason is because Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. And it's true collectively as a group, And it's true individually and in our households, too, that if we get so clogged up and distracted and so busy that we don't have an environment in our life where the Holy Ghost is free to do what he wants to do, we become weak. We become weak. We become compromised. Spiritual gifts are for the church today. Spiritual gifts are indispensable in the life of a healthy church because they strengthen us they strengthen us as believers and they confirm the power of God to unbelievers sometimes spiritual gifts can mean the difference between victory and defeat they really can the gifts of the spirit originate with the Holy Ghost They aren't something that we make up on our own. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm not going to get too far into 1 Corinthians uh, tonight, but I do, for the sake of, of laying the groundwork, we have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all As he wills. Now, embedded in there, if you were counting, there's nine supernatural gifts. And we'll, I'm going to teach about those in a week or two. But in the middle of that passage, you get those nine supernatural gifts. But around that list of all the different gifts that are supernatural in nature, there's some important things. Namely, that the gifts of the Spirit aren't something that's manufactured out of human flesh. It's not something that's just the byproduct of tradition. It's not how we structure our service. It's not the songs that we sing. It's not the volume that I preach in or decide not to preach in. It's not any of those things. It's not what mood we're in. It's not the emotion that I'm feeling. It's something that only comes from the Holy Ghost. It comes from God. God activates it. God distributes gifts. God is the one that causes gifts to operate and to be exercised. It only comes from God. There's different gifts, but there's only one God. There's different gifts and ministries, but there's only one Spirit that empowers all of them. They all have the same source. Spiritual gifts are the works of God and the manifestation of the Spirit. We believe it's for us today. We believe that the Spirit isn't just a doctrine that we know about, but the Holy Ghost is alive, the Holy Ghost is active, and if we will create an environment where the Holy Ghost can operate, that we will see the manifestation of the Spirit of God evidenced in word and in power. And it will be for the benefit of the church, whereas the absence of those things means that we're becoming weaker. The presence of those things means we're becoming stronger, and a stronger church is a healthier church, and a healthier church is involved in reaching lost souls. The gifts of the Spirit are given according to the will of God. So we have to learn about spiritual gifts. We have to learn about yielding to the Spirit of God when He decides that it's time for a gift to be in operation. And we have to do these things so that when that moment comes, we are prepared. Have you ever, you've ever, you probably been in a moment that you, were, that you stumbled into and you weren't prepared for, and you weren't sure what to say, and you weren't sure what to do. We can do that spiritually sometimes. Sometimes we can come up on a, on, a, on a moment, on a God moment, something that God wants to do. There's a person that has a need that God wants to speak to or God wants to meet, or there needs to be healing or there needs to be a miracle that takes place or something like that. And when that moment comes, I want to be ready. Shelton said it one time, and it always stuck with me. Um, he said it like only he can. Uh, he, he he said, he told the story of when Jesus would go up to the fig tree, and there was this one time when Jesus went up to a fig tree, and there's no figs on it. And, um, and Jesus curses the fig tree, right? he curses it. And it, like, shrivels up, and it's like, you know, that seems a little, like, excessive. I'm just thinking, like, Jesus, like, it wasn't even fig season. It doesn't have any figs, you know? Like, I'm just puzzled. And, and Bill Shelton, I remember him saying, he made this point from that passage. He said, you know what? If I'm not ready when Jesus needs me, what good am I? And of course, he said it like only he can. Um, that's kind of a, a very direct black and white statement. But it, imprinted, it made an imprint on me, and, it, and it, it said something to me. I want to be ready for the moment When God decides that there needs to be a miracle, when God decides that there needs to be ministry happen, when God decides that it doesn't have to take the form of something in the supernatural, but there just needs to be an act of kindness, we're going to get to that, that's Romans chapter 12, or whenever there needs to be leadership, or whenever there needs to be uh, mercy that's shown, or there needs to be exhortation, which is to say encouragement. I want to be ready when those moments present themselves. They can be the difference between victory and defeat. How many of us have ever had a word of encouragement spoken over over us exactly when we needed it? Right? It may have been the difference between victory and defeat. It may have been, in extreme circumstances, the difference between life and and death the stakes are high we must create an environment not just and it would be this is the, the easy thing to teach tonight would be we need to create an environment in this setting the more difficult thing to teach would be going to the next step and saying you at home you need to create that environment And maybe that's even more powerful. I know it's more challenging because it's somewhat easy to come in and to kind of feed off of everything else going on in the room here. But what about whenever it's just our crew at home? What about when it's just you? We've got to keep that environment. The Lord wants to work through that environment as much as he wants to work through this environment. Maybe I'll go radical and say, the Lord wants to operate more in that environment than he wants to in this environment. Could it be that there's more miracles that need to happen outside of these four walls? Could it be that there needs to be more words of kindness and encouragement and leadership and whatever other gift you want to throw out there that need to happen outside of these four walls than inside of these four walls? I know. (laughs) That's more challenging. I know what would be the easier thing to teach tonight. I know what would be the easier thing. But I think the Holy Ghost, if, if the church is going to survive the age that we're living in, where we're being attacked from all sides, we're going to have to adopt a policy amongst ourselves that I'm not just going to create an environment, and what a beautiful environment, physical environment we have, I always feel like this is just a place of peace. There's a place it's a place where ministry can happen. It's beautiful and we should never take it for granted. But I think the Holy Ghost is calling us in this hour to say what does the environment in my life look like? That's where the power is at. Because it's the will of God that every believer operate in spiritual gifts and have a place of ministry in the church. I'm going to say it again because that's so important. It is the will of God that every believer, every saint, operate in spiritual gifts and have a place of ministry in the body. I've said it in multiple types of settings in different conversations, and maybe you've heard me say it. I'm, I really, I really think, I really feel like that if the Lord should tarry a few more years, if the Lord should tarry through the end of the decade, I think that the way the trends are going in the world today, even in the church world at large, there's trends and one of the trends in the world and in the church is consumerism. It's it's where we show up someplace and we consume, right? Right? And churches are being built this way now, where it's consumer-friendly. You come in, you receive, you receive, you receive, and you just go on about your business. And you, you consume it almost like it's a product. And I've said it in different settings, and I'll, I'll say it tonight. I really think, I really feel like that one of the distinguishing features of the apostolic church, if the Lord should tarry, into the future a little further, is going to be that we reject that kind of model. That we are not a consumer-driven model of having church, doing church, doing ministry, living for the Lord. That we are, we're not going to be the kind of church where you come in and you just consume this like it's a product. But that when you come to church, when you're a part of an apostolic church, there is the expectation, I said it when I opened up, This is a culture-forming type of topic. When you come into an apostolic church, there's an expectation that I'm going to be an active member of the body. That there's going to be a spiritual gift, a ministry, something that I'm doing to contribute to the mission of the church. Something that I'm doing personally. It might be behind the scenes. No one may know what's going on. But believe me, brothers and sisters, this is going to be one of the distinguishing marks of the apostolic church in the days to come if the Lord should tarry long enough. We're go- there's going to be a breaking away from the way the models that the rest of the world is adopting where you just plug in and consume something like it's a product and then you unplug and go about your business. There's going to be life together. There's going to be ministry together. There's going to be engagement in services in gatherings, in fellowships, and just in life outside of these four walls. And this topic is directly tied into that trend. It's going to be the source. It's going to be the thing. More than how we dress, more than how we speak, more than how we look, there's going to be a recognition they don't do things the same way. There's a different, they're different kinds of Christians. I don't know, they may not have the verbiage for it, they may not have a vocabulary to describe it exactly, but they will look at the apostolic church and say, there is something about the way that they're living There's something about the way that they're doing church. There's something about the way that the Holy Ghost moves in their services. There's something about the power of God that shows up when they get together. When even just two or three gather together in his name. There's something different about the apostolic. They are a different kind of Christian. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know what words to attach to it. But there's something different going on in the apostolic church. It's more than a check-in and check-out operation. I'm telling you, mark my words, mark this message, go back and listen to it in five years if we're all still here, but there's something that's going to be a fundamental difference and a distinction, and it has roots in this topic. One of the biggest features of what I'm talking about right now is going to be that the apostolic church is going to be The kind of place where spiritual gifts are in operation. People are being led by the Spirit of God. And it's the will of God that every believer operate in a spiritual gift and contribute to the mission of the church. So here's a few guardrails. Whenever we talk about spiritual gifts, we do need guardrails. Because we've got this humanity thing going on. We've got a lot of things happening. So here's a few three guardrails. The first is that we have to exercise spiritual gifts under the authority of the local church. That means our brothers and sisters and our leadership. We have to operate in spiritual gifts under that authority. So that means when the New Testament talks about being submitted to one another, that's within the body. We're submitted to one another. We can call out one another on things without getting into each other's business and without everybody trying to pastor one another. We can hold each other accountable in certain scenarios. We can check on one another. We can pray for one another. We can have real conversations with one another. And that's one of our guardrails. The other one is, is, is our leadership. We have to, we have to uh, be submitted to our leadership, and we have to follow the, the direction that's set. And so let me say something about that, about the leadership part. Submission to leadership regarding the gifts of the Spirit is significant for this reason. In the Bible, anywhere that there's qualified godly leadership described in the New Testament, it's never described in terms of giftings. You can go to 1 Timothy uh, and Titus, and you can see where Paul writes to these younger guys, and he gives them the qualifications for ministry, for being in leadership. And you'll see in the paragraph in the list where all the different qualifications for leadership in the New Testament church is listed, it's almost all character-based. It's not gifts-based. Fact is, if you were to look at bishops, elders, and deacons in the New Testament, and you would look at the qualifications for those offices in church leadership, there's only one gift gifting that's mentioned in any of those job descriptions in the Bible and it only occurs for bishops and elders and it's the gift apt to teach anyone know the passages I'm talking about apt to teach all of the other qualifications that are listed are character not a liar, not given to much wine husband of one wife uh, above reproach You you can go through, and and their character, their their character-based things. And so the reason I bring that up within the context of spiritual gifts is because character always trumps gifts. Character always supersedes gifts. Always. You can be the most gifted person in the entire world. You can be the most gifted person in the entire body. But if you lack basic Christian character, you will be disqualified. And so when we say we need to be submitted to one another and we need to be submitted to our leadership, it's the recognition that our leadership is character qualified. And that character qualification protects us as we use our spiritual gifts and keeps our gifts from getting out of control and harming one another right? Everyone tracking with me? That's how important it is. So second guardrail, we have to exercise spiritual gifts according to God's words. God's word gives us guardrails for spiritual gifts. So you can look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I'm getting ahead of myself. 1 Corinthians 14 details about when there's a message in tongues and then there's an interpretation of that message. And uh, 1 Corinthians 14 seems to indicate that if it happens three times in one gathering, that's enough. Because otherwise, we kind of start getting, it has the tendency to where it can get a little chaotic. So for the sake of order, God's word prescribes in one gathering, happens three times, then that's it. That's just a good practice. Um, I was at youth camp last summer. It was the senior high camp, and um, of course, it was one of those nights where I didn't have Brother Parkey there, and I didn't have Brother Carr there, and I don't think I had any of the district board, the presbyters in the room, and it was just me. Sometimes I look around at youth camp or places like that. I just get back from youth convention. I look around, and I'm like, how did this happen? How am I? In, how, how am I the one that's here right now? And where's Brother Parkey at? I think sometimes. Where's Brother Carr? Um, But it was one of those nights. And uh, there was just a move of the Holy Ghost that was happening in the altars. And um, and these teenagers, these high school age young people, uh, all of a sudden there was a message in tongues. And then it got quiet. And it was a teenager. And then there was an interpretation, and it was a little shaky, but it was there, it was solid, it was, it was on, on the mark, and I just thought to myself, wow, that's, that's really neat, that's good, that, that's, you know, just the high school, it's great, I was, I was impressed, I was kind of godly proud of them, and then uh, a little while went by, Brother Sanders, and then there was another one, happened again, boom, boom, students, teenagers, again, different kids, not the same ones as before. And then uh, a few minutes went by, and it, again, it was on the market. A little shaky, but it was good. It was, it was in, in line with what was going on in the service. And then uh, a little while longer went by, and there was a third. There it went. Boom, boom. Happened again. Students, same thing. Um, and, and by this time, I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, you know, pretty good. Well, at this point, I'm standing off to the side of the platform. And I'm talking to the evangelist that night. His name's Chris Green, and he's about my age. And me and Chris are standing over there, and the third one happens. The third message happens, and then there's a third interpretation. And uh, and it happens, and then he just kind of looks at me, and we'd been talking, and we stopped talking to listen. And uh, once it happened, he looked at me, and he he patted me on the back, and he said, well, I'm not the pastor here. He's like, but I think that's it. <laughs> and and so, and I did too. I knew that was it. So that it, then it fell to me to uh, kind of take the service a different direction, uh, because that's what the Word of God tells us. Now, I wasn't there in Corinth when apparently there were, you know, who knows, 17 different messages and tongues and interpretation in one service. I I don't know what happened. I don't know what prompted Paul to write exactly that. But he did it under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, and it provides a guardrail for us. So, the Word of God does that for us. And then the third, and I don't want to say it's the most important all of these are of equal importance. The third, though, is we must operate in our spiritual gifts with love for God and love for one another. Love for one another. So we have to, there's three chapters in 1 Corinthians that talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. Sometimes when we read the Bible, sometimes we can, we can disassociate parts of the Bible that are right next to each other from one another. We'll say, ah, you know, this is about this, and this is about something totally different. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about spiritual. We just read from it a little bit ago. It talks about spiritual gifts very clearly. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I just referenced it about the tongues. It it talks about spiritual. It's all about spiritual gifts. It's all there. But then you get chapter 13 in the middle. Who knows what chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians is, is? What chapter is that? Yeah, Charity. Love. It's not out of place. That chapter is also about spiritual gifts. And the warning is, we have to exercise our spiritual gifts in love or it's all for naught. Because if we don't do it in love, We have these temptations to use these spiritual gifts as a mechanism for anything that our flesh wants to accomplish. That's very dangerous. Very dangerous. And so the third guardrail is love. We ought to be able to quote 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If we're a church that's serious about spiritual gifts, and we are, we ought to be able to quote 1 Corinthians 13. There's only like 14 verses. It's a beautiful chapter. Challenge yourself. I tell you this, if you, want to, if you want to pursue spiritual gifts, there's probably no better place to start than making it a matter of prayer and memorizing 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you'll do those two things, I think there'll be a signal flare in the Holy Ghost go up and God will see somebody who is truly serious about operating in the gifts of the Spirit because they're earnestly praying after and pursuing them and they're including this so important element and they're committing it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. I just think there'd be something go up in the Holy Ghost that God would say there's a person that I want to start to flow through. There's a person that I want to start to use in the gifts of the spirit. Can we lift up our hands in this? There's a Holy Ghost that's here right now. And he's, I think there's something that's happening in the Holy Ghost where there's just, I think there's some that something's starting to click in your spirit and there's a hunger. There's a renewed interest. There's a revival of interest in the gifts of the Spirit. You're saying, I want to be strong. I want to have an environment that maybe hasn't happened in a while. I I want to do all of it in love. I want to minister to somebody. I want to reach for somebody. Hallelujah. 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 The ultimate purpose of spiritual gifts is to glorify Jesus Christ to exalt Jesus Christ the immediate purpose of spiritual gifts is to build up the church not to build up individuals but to build up the church Oh, we're halfway through the handout. Okay. Now I'm going to start stop teaching off my notes. I'm going to start teaching off the handout. That's the only way we're going to make up time. Spiritual gifts are never counterproductive to godly unity. The whole here's what Ephesians says. Ephesians says. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, not the Spirit of unity. Maintain the unity of the Spirit, capital S Spirit, in the bond of peace. The Holy Ghost will never undermine the unity of the church, as long as it's godly unity. Spiritual gifts will never undermine the unity of the church, and it's never counterproductive to godly unity. Here's three categories for spiritual gifts, and this I, I need to bring us I need to bring us to a, a landing point tonight because we need to pray, and we've got some particular things we need to pray over, and that's important. Ministry, uh, as important as as me talking and teaching, uh, is prayer is important as well. We need to we need to do that before we get any further afield tonight. Three categories that that spiritual gifts fall into. Uh, Sister Courtney, I believe there's a slide for this. Uh, this is going to be helpful. The first is uh, is uh, ministerial office gifts. This is just this, this has all just been introductory tonight. Ministerial office gifts. Um, I've seen it called these called establishing gifts. I, I like that too. These are for establishing the church, for stabilizing the church. Uh, that's in Ephesians chapter four. That's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Ministerial office gifts. Why do we call them gifts? Because in Ephesians 4, it says, and God gave some. He gave the church. So they're gifts. Gifts to the church. The second category is ministry gifts. Um, Ministry gifts. Uh, Sorry, I've got them out of order. Service gifts, supporting gifts. That's ministry gifts. Service gifts. That's Romans chapter 12. There's seven of those, seven core ones that were listed in Romans 12. We'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, I've called. I've heard them called supporting gifts. These are things that these are things that help organize and administrate the church and carry out the church's mission. And then, um, and then, lastly, uh, the supernatural gifts. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter twelve. First Corinthians chapter twelve. We read that a moment ago. Wis- word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, uh, gifts of healing. Uh, you saw there's 9 of them there those are supernatural gifts these are these are distinct in some ways but they're the same in that they all are gifts of the spirit they all originate in the holy ghost are there any questions any questions any comments Okay, Romans chapter 12. Let's look at these service gifts quickly. Uh, I, I want to detail each of them and uh, because this is going to be an inspiration. This is going to inspire someone. Um, the first one, these are core service gifts. These are, ser- these are gifts that need to be in the life of the church. The first one is prophecy. This is divinely inspired speech. Prophecy. Prophecy. Divinely inspired speech. It's not necessarily a prediction of the future. So sometimes this means an anointed testimony, an anointed proclamation, an anointed message. Um, The word, the King James word that I like is the word unction, unction. There's an unction behind this kind of speech. The second is ministry. I know that seems like a very generic, basic word to throw out. Like, well, ministry—all this is ministry. What do you mean, ministry? Ministry means serving, serving. So this means service to others. I would I would describe this as behind-the-scenes work, behind-the-scenes assistance. Sometimes it's keyed in on uh, the business or administration or organization, uh, organizational matters of a church. Just the things that happen. To, I've heard it said before uh, that the gift of administration is the gift that creates the space for all the other gifts to be in operation. You ever heard that before? What, what does that mean? It means someone's got to pay the light bill. I'm not talking about finance the light bill, I'm talking about actually submitting the payment for the light bill so that we can come together and do this, right? Someone's got someone's to make sure that we pay the water bill so we can fill up the baptismal tank. Otherwise, no one's getting baptized in it, right? So, in a sense, this gift is the gift that kind of creates the space for all the other gifts to be in operation. It's ne- it may seem, that may seem like the one that gets the least airtime. It's like, ah, oh, ministry. Like, that's the most generic one ever. But guess what? It's the one that creates the space for so much else to happen. Third, exhortation. This is giving encouragement or comfort, maybe by public testimony, maybe by personal contact, phone calls, cards in the mail. There was someone in the Bible, in the New Testament, who was known for this. Barnabas was known as the son of consolation. He was known as an encourager. That's pretty significant. I just want to stop for a second. That's pretty significant, That and it tells me that there's, there's a way You can get to the place where you are, you have so recognized the spiritual gift that God uses you in a lot of times, that you become so obedient and so much in the flow of letting the Holy Ghost do that through you, that it becomes part of your identity. I don't know about you, but I kind of aspire to that. I kind of like, I, you don't have to like attach it, to Sister Mona, to like the end of my name, like Dustin the whatever, you know, fill in the blank. You, I mean, I don't want like a plaque that says that or something. But to be known, not for the sake of my status, but just look what the Lord has done, that's pretty powerful. That's something to kind of aspire to, I think. Fourth is teaching. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's instruction. This is, uh, a lot of times, this is Sunday school teach- teachers, uh, home Bible study teachers, uh, basically just any setting where you are assisting someone in understanding and applying Scripture in a way that can be grasped, in a way that can be lived out. Sometimes it can, sometimes uh, there's, the, there's the old saying, if, if they're not learning, I'm not teaching. Right? Right? Um, Listen, if it, if it takes uh, the little flannel graph, how many had flannel graph in Sunday school? How many even know what I'm talking about? Okay, I had flannel graph in Sunday school. I know it's not that long ago. Brother Mike, don't shake your head at me. Okay? I had flannel graph. Um, if it's flannel graph and, and I'm understanding it, right, then, then it's teaching. There's stuff getting imparted to me, and it's important. Um... Giving, this is number five. This is, again, exactly what it sounds like. It's sharing material blessings with others within the church. Um, It's not a sign of superiority, but it's a way that you can give and minister in the kingdom of God. Sixth is leading. If you're reading in the, New King J- in the King James Version, you're going to read that rule, and it's not, go- it's not going to say leading, it's going to say ruling, ruling. Uh, we would use the word leading uh, today, probably, and it means giving direction, giving guidance, uh, exerting influence within the church. This can include administrating, leading a department of ministry, uh, or ordering the church's business affairs whenever we have to make a business move on something. Uh, that's That's leading. Um, And then last but not least, showing mercy. And this is being merciful and kind towards others. This can include visiting the sick. I'm I'm, I'm naming these off not not just to fill up time tonight, but because I'm hoping that there's something that gets generated in the room right now, that somebody hears something that I'm saying and saying, you know what, I can do that. I can do that. Or I used to do that. Talking about showing mercy, visiting the sick helping the poor, helping those that are less less fortunate, assisting widows and orphans. This is a person that does it cheerfully and not begrudgingly, not out of a sense of duty or a sense of obligation, but because they are happy to do it. And to some extent, hear this, to some extent every mature Christian should be able to function in all seven of these areas. Now there might be one that the Holy Ghost specially uses you in, repeatedly. But every mature Christian, anyone that's been born again for a number of years and has grown in the Lord, ought to be able to exercise and operate in all seven of these. None of these are out of reach. Every single one of us ought to be able to show kindness and mercy. Every single one of us ought to be able to exert influence and lead when the moment calls for it. You might not get up and do it from up here, but when the moment calls for it, you can steer something in the right direction. In the Holy Ghost, right? Every single one of us ought to be able to encourage. All of us, none of us are above serving behind the scenes. None of us. You never outgrow these things. Let me be bold. Every single one of us ought to be able to teach. All of us ought to be able to teach. The writer to the Hebrews said, by this time you ought to have been teachers. That was not a compliment by the writer of Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is sparse on compliments. He says, by this time you ought to have been teachers. But instead, I'm going to have to go back to the milk instead of the meat. All of us should be able to teach. The Great Commission commands it. Go ye therefore teaching, making disciples, baptizing. That's, I'll say it, what I said at the beginning. That is not just for leaders. It's for the whole body, every person. Now, your teaching may not look like my teaching. Hopefully your teaching is better than my teaching. It's going to be different. You know what? You know what preaching and teaching is? It's truth conveyed through personality. And that's okay. That's not sacrilegious. You don't have to teach like me. I don't have to teach like you. There's going to be someone that needs to be taught that needs your teaching voice. There's going to be someone that needs to be encouraged that needs your encouraging voice. There's going to be someone that needs your sensitivity to having needs met that you're going to show them an act of kindness that someone else may not be able to meet that need or know how to meet that need, but they need you to step up and meet that need. Titus chapter 3 verse 1, Paul says it. He says, we need to be ready for every good work. Every good work. Now, before we close and before we go into prayer, um, I I, I want to make a distinction. Sometimes, and this is powerful, I really like talking about this topic, and I really like talking about what I'm fixing to say. There's times when God spiritually blesses a natural gift. Now, I'm, I'm not going to, don't take this as, Brother Dustin's adding to the word of God, because I'm not. There's seven things listed in Romans chapter 12. I think it's a fine list. I think it's a list that the Holy Ghost put there. But I want to put a little addendum on it and say there's times when God spiritually blesses a natural gift. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, And this is not a comprehensive. These are just examples. Um, When David would play the harp, there would be... Somewhere, David learned how to play the harp, obviously. I don't know if he learned it when he was out there tending his father's sheep. I don't even know how you play a harp. Is it like this? I don't know. I don't know. This? I don't know. David knew, though. And David honed that skill. It was a natural gift. He didn't wake up one day and know how to do it. Practiced. Developed it. But then one day Saul called him in and there was an evil spirit that was tormenting him and and David started to play that harp and something spiritual happened. God spiritually blessed a natural gift that David was bringing to the table. There's gifts that we can hone, natural gifts that we can hone and develop and we can bring to the table. There's gifts in this room, natural gifts that you've developed and honed. There's some of you that play that play instruments, there's some of you that sing, and you haven't done it in a long time, but they're natural gifts. God will spiritually bless those things. I see people looking around right now. Some of you know that so-and-so used to sing or so-and-so used to play. Uh Uh-huh. Here's another one. What about craftsmanship? There's, There's a guy In Exodus chapter 31, me and Bishop were talking about this afternoon, there's a guy in Exodus 31, his name is Bezalel, Bezalel, and this is the point where they were were building the tabernacle, and they were not just building the tabernacle as a structure, they were building everything that was going to go inside of it and furnish it, and if you read those passages in Exodus, you'll see that it's really like heavy on description of like all the different things. Ryan's and He knows what I'm talking about. They're like, they, they're like and this one has a carved pomegranate, and this one has almonds car- carved on it, and this one's made out of a particular kind of wood with a particular kind of precious metal that's inlaid into the wood, and I mean, it's heavy on description stuff. Well, who in the world knows how to do all that stuff? Exodus chapter 31 says there's this guy named Bezalel, and it says that the Spirit of God gifted him to create all of that stuff. He was a craftsman. Now, I don't think he went from being like a guy who knew nothing about that to all of a sudden supernaturally like he just woke up and he could do all of it and he was the best ever. I think he was already involved in those trades. But when he brought it to the table, God supernaturally blessed it. And he took a natural gift and the Spirit gifted him to go above and beyond what he was what the sum total of his natural abilities were and allowed something spiritual to happen. And I believe it was the most beautiful furniture that had ever been devised and ever created by human hands. Exodus chapter 31. There's other times I read in the New Testament where there would be someone when Jesus and the disciples would roll into town and they had to stay somewhere. And a lot of times it would be at someone that they knew uh, a, a family, extended family member's home or something like that and when they would roll into town and they'd go to that particular house they would receive hospitality there's some of you that cook delicious food because I've eaten it and you have a gift that's been honed and it's the gift to cook and it's a gift to host people can you imagine hosting Jesus at your house like can you imagine? I just believe that there were some natural gifts that those people had for hosting and being hospitable and cooking and creating an environment where he could be, where there was ministry that, there was ministry that could happen. And I just think that some of that is still in the church today. And I think that we can bring our natural gifts to God and he will spiritually bless them. The reason we talk needs a church that is powerful. The, church, the world does not need a weak church. The world needs a powerful church. And it's not just the supernatural gifts that we'll get to later that are powerful. But believe me, brothers and sisters, when I tell you that holy speech and humble service and genuine encouragement, selfless giving... Gentle explanation and teaching, trustworthy leadership, and cheerful mercy are just as much needed and powerful in our world today. Those things don't exist. they, They are not naturally occurring in the world today. You know how there's some things that do not naturally occur in nature, like a plant or an animal, and it's kind of, those things, this world is not an environment for those things to thrive. The church has to bring that to the world. And if the church will bring those things to the world, we will start to win the world. It will get the world's attention. And we will start to win them because those are spiritually powerful things. I want to win the world, amen? I think of us sometimes, and I've got some pictures, it just flashed into my mind late this afternoon of of disaster relief. And I think sometimes the condition that our world is in We need people that are doing the things that we're talking about. That's us. It can be us. We need to be out there in the middle of it. Not sinning. Not being conformed to the world. But pulling people out. Pulling people out. Things like encouragement. Things like leadership. Things like teaching. Things like acts of mercy and kindness. I just have a burden to win the lost and to see people saved. It takes a healthy and an active and a powerful church. I want to be the church that Jesus envisions in the world today. I know you feel the same way. Let's stand together. There's a couple... needs.